said something before the break there that really struck me. I usually don't listen to myself, so what was it? You said, can the Leafs win four in a row? (laughs) That's pretty crazy, yeah. In what world (laughs) are the Maple Leafs in an opportunity, or in a position, rather, to win four straight playoff games? And yet, that is the reality here. Game five, Scotiabank Arena. Maple Leafs lighting for the chance to be the first team in the Atlantic Division to advance to the second round. Shout out to the Florida Panthers. Be a big vibes night Wouldn't if that's that be the case. Wouldn't that be the story? Hey, just as we wrote it, Maple Leafs first team to advance. Oh, the Maple Leafs are waiting on the Boston Bruins. Okay. Yeah. We're, just, wa- we're waiting now. They're just sitting in ice baths, getting all prepped up. Well, it could be the Florida Panthers too. It could be. Maybe that'll go seven. Just a little extra time to wait. Anyway, get ahead of ourselves again. But it's a big night. And to discuss the Maple Leafs and Lightning, Game 5, we got our guy, Luke Fox, NHL reporter at Sportsnet. And he'll be down at the rink this morning, tonight, covering it all. Maybe they're late at night writing a story you haven't written in a yeah, long time. Yeah, writing a story. What is, is, that, is that like the biggest <laughs> thing for you here, Luke? I mean, I've been in that position. I've wrote, written the, the article, the postmortem, like four or five times in a row. It gets a little tiresome. Are you in the position or are you in the mindset where you're just dying to write something new? Yeah, you know what? I I, I do have some sort of sick pleasure in, in going to the losing room sometimes. It, and this has nothing to do with the Leafs, but just in general, um, I, I find the losing room can be a little bit more interesting than the winning room. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, I have written Leafs <laughs> lose in round one before, so I, it would be refreshing. I think, and you know, you don't want to get ahead of yourselves, but even, you know, the comeback and it was the lightning that collapsed at four one that felt new. Like I'm I'm sure it was stunning for fans and certainly for Tampa's players. I think they thought they had that game locked up, but uh, even writing that story of Alexander Kerfoot being the overtime hero, that, that felt refreshing. You know, the Leafs swiping two games, uh, on enemy ice down there and both kind of in stunning fashion. So even those felt, felt a little new. It, it, you know, you don't want to get ahead of yourselves and say, Oh, well, this group's different. It feels different. The Tampa Bay lightning, uh, will not go down quietly. But, uh, if you had told me before this series that Andre Vasilevsky would look like the worst goalie in the playoffs, man, I don't know if I would have believed you. Yeah, this situation for sure for the Maple Leafs is new, right? Like, they've been up 3-1 before, but that was, we were just, you know, it was victory lap already, right? Oh, they're going to beat the Montreal Canadiens here. They they can't even hold a candle. The only reason why it's not a sweep is that they lost John Tavares in game one, and they were reeling a little bit in that game. Like, this is a completely different situation where this is a powerhouse that they have on the ropes. And again, don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But I'm, I think it's always worth taking like the vibe check with you because you're in the room, you're hearing these guys talk, you're feeling the atmosphere in the locker room as it pertains to the Maple Leafs. So what is the feeling around this team right now? Uh, it's, it's very businesslike. It, it's very serious. And I, I think that's a good thing. I think having the balance of, of some of the veterans they brought in is huge. Like, Ryan O'Reilly has done wonders for that room in terms of not being shook by the moment. Uh, I think you look around and you see a guy who's contributing and has the resume to back it up in terms of he's actually done this before. I think that could have a ripple effect. I think he's been phenomenal. 
I also think Luke Shen has has been otherworldly. You know, some of these guys, when we're in the room, they just want to, you know, say their cliches and and get out of there and and probably just keep focusing on on what they need to do. But guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Luke Shen will hang around and chat off the record and tell some stories. Like, they just seem calm. They seem confident in themselves. They seem like they've, they've done this before. It's not a big deal. This is only round one. Like, there's no reason to get all tight. Uh, so I think that having that balance, um, they, they're not carrying the weight of all the pressure that the, that the core is. Uh, so I think, you know, those type of personalities have gone a long way. And I'll throw in, Noel Chari hasn't won a cup yet, but I'll throw him in the mix too. He, he's a very calm presence and a hard worker and kind of an underrated guy who's been phenomenal in these playoffs. So calm and more measured, maybe most specifically with new guys, and maybe that's given off a more of a professional vibe, a serious vibe, a locked-in vibe. But if it's calm and cool, like, you know, after games, off days, I feel like there's a little bit more fire, fight, pushback. Like, even when we saw Kyle Dubas obviously screaming at fans, like, that's a different thing. But it feels like this team is a little bit more game. Uh, and I don't know if that's like picked up in the locker room. Maybe it's just something we're seeing on the ice, but it does feel like they're rising to the occasion in terms of, okay, you need to be someone else. You need to be more than which what you were before. You need to actually fight for this. Do you get that vibe too? Yeah, I think I got it from Austin Matthews after game four. You know, he, he didn't want to get too high there. Uh, you know, I think a, a younger Matthews may have, uh, been a bit more smiley at the podium and a little bit more happy and, and up with the win. And he was all business. He was like, it's not done yet. You know, like he's, he's lived through this pain before he knows he needs, it, it was immediately shifting the focus to the fourth win. Uh, and I also think, you know, this is, this is top down. This is the, the urgency, the pressure on these guys. I mean, you mentioned the, the Dubas interaction with the lightning fans. Uh, you can tell how invested he is. Uh, Sheldon Keith has been uh, all business with, with us. Like his, his, he is crazy focused and he's a bit more, uh, he's got a bit more edge to him. We saw that in his comments, you know, calling out the lightning for brilliantly manipulating the officials. I don't think we would have seen that in earlier series from, from Keith. Uh, you know, I, I think he's kind of like, we got nothing to lose. We just, we're, we're going to do everything we can. It, they, they've even gotten a little bit petty um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the Samsonov was available to reporters all season long. And then all of a sudden he has, he hasn't been for the past couple of games. I think he, they're going to make him available after game five. But the reason was they uh, Keith said was, well, have you talked to Vasilevsky? Well, Vasilevsky broke, broke his silence yesterday down in Tampa with their reporters. Uh, but those are the types of things we wouldn't have seen, I don't think, in past series. Uh, you know, even even Jack Campbell, who was going through some some struggles, would talk to us on off days in the last series. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're a bit more, you know, we're going to do things our way and we're going to push back a little bit. And we're seeing that off the ice and we're certainly seeing it on the ice. I mean, they're matching the lightning hit for hit. They're getting in fights. Like when was the last time you've seen so many fights in a, in a Leafs playoff series? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of like the, the edge they're bringing. They're not the turn the other cheek leaps anymore. 
What did you make of the Vasilevsky media appearance? Uh, we we kind of teed it up to a bit of maybe John Cooper being a little maybe desperate. Hail Mary time, Luke. It's Hail Mary. He's playing a little chess off the ice. Um, but Vasilevsky getting out there in front of the media when Samsonov hasn't, and Vasilevsky just notoriously never does. Anything alternative motive for that? Well, I think it has to do with, with what's been going on behind the scenes a little bit, and that is reporters pressuring these teams to make their goalies available because they're a story, right? Like, it is a story that Andre Vasilevsky, who John Cooper will tell you is the best goalie in the world and the best big game goalie in the world and always bounces back from losses. Well, he hasn't bounced back from a loss twice in a row now. And he's getting beat by long shots, lots of traffic in front. Uh, Leafs have kind of found out his weakness. Um, Derek Lalonde certainly <laughs> let, let the, spilled the beans there too. So he is becoming a story, right? Like going into the playoffs, if you surveyed a bunch of people, who, what goalie would you trust, um, you know, to backstop your team in a playoff series? I think if you did a player poll or whatever, the results would probably be overwhelmingly Vasilevsky, and he hasn't shown up yet. So uh, he is a story. So reporters are are like, you have to make him available, and then finally they they buckled. But I did find it interesting that you know. I, I wanted to watch his comments, but the Lightning didn't post that video on their website. Um, but just the, the independent written reporters uh, had his quotes. And, you know, him coming out and saying, I, I need uh, bleeping x-ray <laughs> glasses to, to see the pucks coming at me. I take that as, as him taking a shot as, at his defense. Definitely. And it's a defense that has been sorely depleted with the Eric Cernak uh, injury and and he he won't be back uh, for this game and I'd be stunned if he came back in the series at any point. But they're having a rough go mm-hmm. clearing the Leafs um, forwards out in front of the net with screens and tips and and I think he's he, that's a message to his defense either block the shot or get out of the way and get them out of the way. There's certainly a lot of like off the ice conversation happening. Um, obviously, we heard a little bit from Michael Bunting for the first time since his suspension as well. I think he handled it quite well. I think obviously he wants to be in the lineup and he's not. So the decision from Sheldon Keefe to make that, I I would say the harder decision really uh, to not put the guy back in who's one of the contributors in your top 12, top six even, um, and to to stick with what's going. Um, I wonder how, how hard do you think that decision was and how much of it was just vibes, like the team has won three in a row, keep everything together, or how much of it was we don't want to add this variable factor, which Justin's used quite well. Like it's a variable, which version of Michael Bunting are you going to get? How is he going to impact the game positively slash negatively? Like how you think he weighed this decision to not put him back in for game five? Yeah, I think, I think it was a hard decision and it was probably a really difficult conversation to tell a fiery Mm -hmm. competitor like Michael Bunting, who's never been suspended and, and he'll remind you in his entire pro career until this time, uh, that, yeah, you played all 82 games for us this season. Yeah, you, you've had back-to-back 23-goal seasons. You're in a contract year. You, you're making no money. You've given us 112 points over two years. You've proven that you can play with some of our best players. And now you served your time, three games, longer than we even thought you would get. And, uh, yeah, sorry, we're, we're going to stick with Zach Aston reese and Sam Lafferty, who we just picked up. Um, so you can just keep eating snacks in the press box. Like, 
that would be a tough conversation. But, you know, it, it kind of falls into conventional hockey wisdom, I think, in, in that you don't want to mess with the winning lineup. And sure, the Maple Leafs haven't, you know, dominated possession for 60 minutes or 60 minutes plus in those overtime games uh, and throughout that time. But how do you also tell a guy that's been part of those wins, three straight wins uh, against the Lightning, that you're not going in? Um, and it, it, I think it also has to do with where Bunting slots. I don't like him as a fourth liner. I don't love him as a third liner. I think he plays his best hockey in the offensive zone. I think he needs to be with skilled players. He's proven he, he can excel in that role. Uh, but I don't know how you mess with Yarn Kroc when him and Matthews likes playing with them, and that's probably been their best line, is having Yarn Kroc up with Matthews. Uh, and then Matt Nyes has been phenomenal as Bunting's replacement, so much so that he's earned a promotion up to the second line with, with Tavares and Marner for tonight. So I think it has to do with, you know, we have good momentum here. And then secondarily, I do think there's an element of if Bunting's on the ice, are the Lightning going to, you know, maybe not go out of their way and do something stupid, but are they going to target him? Because they are ticked that Cernak got taken out of this series. Like, they're, they're downplaying it but they are furious about this. It has greatly affected the series, not having one of your best three defensemen out there. So are they going to, you know, get into bunting and is bunting going to respond and do something dumb? And it, could this distract kind of wake a sleeping giant? Because I think the Leafs would prefer the lightning to just stick to hockey and not, you know, get into the extracurriculars. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. Like, if the Leafs can just start again with bunting in a second round, that's the best-case scenario, just not have him exposed to what the Lightning may or may not do if he's on uh, on the ice. Uh, it has been framed as, like, okay, if not bunting, it's not bunting because it's Matthew Nyes. And I don't think that's true at all. Frankly, I think Matthew Nyes, Michael Bunting's return, nothing to do with Matthew Nyes because Matthew Nyes has played you know, has been at a level that few forwards on the Maple Leafs team can actually match right now. But the way you put it there, don't trust him as a third or fourth liner. I guess that's kind of the case because if he has to play in the top six, then it, it is nice. But I, I don't think the, uh, the decision ever was going to come down to that. Like if it was really a tough decision, it wasn't because he was thinking about taking Matthew Nyes out. It was about thinking about putting him on a fourth line. So who do you think would have come out if you had to guess if Bunting was going to play? And I guess if they do start a round two with Michael Bunting in the lineup, you know, who's, who's got to play really well. I'll, I'll frame it that way in order to stay in Sheldon Keefe's lineup. Um, I think it come, probably comes down to Aston Reese or Lafferty. Uh, I, I, I just think, you know, it, it can't be anyone else. Kerfoot Kerr, like gets the, uh, you know, game winner in plays hero and Sheldon Keefe absolutely loves this guy. He's never scratched him before. So I don't think it's him. It's not definitely not going to be a Chari. Like this guy's built for the playoffs. Uh, you know, I, I think we're just going to have to see a play out. Does yarn do something stupid? Like, uh, I, I <laughs> but I, I think his spot's probably secure just because they gave, they committed to him long-term and he see Matthew seems to really like playing with him. So mm-hmm. I'd be shocked at that. So, I, yeah, I'd say Lafferty um, and, and Aston Reese are, are maybe the guys on, on the bubble once uh, Bunting's ready to come back. And I think it has to do with ha- what, what happens. We have to wait and see. Does one of them take a dumb penalty? Does one of them create a bad turnover? Conversely, they can play amazing and assert them spot, the, them, their spot in the lineup. So we're, ju- we're just going to have to see this play out. 
Last night we saw the Florida Panthers give quite the push to the Boston Bruins. Um, they were on the brink of elimination, and they're not going to go quietly into the night. Um, I feel like there's an opportunity for Tampa to play with nothing to lose as well. The Leafs have a lot of pressure on them tonight. Uh, they have everything to lose. If you go back to Tampa, I know they have two more opportunities to win, but it seems like the vibes would shift immensely. This is a this is an opportunity for the Maple Leafs to kind of rewrite their history to, to exercise the playoff demons. Um, is there a game script you think the Maple Leafs want to come out with tonight? Is it just to dominate that first five minutes, get the crowd on their side, how important the first goal is? Um, and, and is it just the veteran presence that's going to help kind of quiet some of that noise? Like there is a, I'm sure they're aware of the moment. And I guess maybe the story you'll be writing post game is that they were able to kind of control the moment. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it was an anomaly uh, last game that the team that scored first didn't win the game. Mm-hmm. Normally, the team that scores first in this series wins the game. And that's kind of usually how the Leafs' night goes, whether it's playoffs or regular season. If, if they can get the first goal, if they can come out with some fire, not be shook by the moment. Uh, I thought they were shook by the moment in game one. I think it was in their heads. Oh, boy, we've been waiting. This whole time, we've told ourselves and everyone told us that nothing mattered in the regular season. And all that matters was the playoffs. And then the puck drops on the playoffs, and it's like, who are these Leafs? Like, they were on their heels. They, they did not attack the, the moment. Sean Keefe had a great line uh, at the end of the last game. He said, we attacked overtime. And he, you could tell how excited he was by that. So start your top line. Start your, your best deep pair. Go after it. Try and get the first goal and take it to them and not play this counter-punching game. So I, I, I think that'll be the, the biggest key. Um, you know, it, think of some of their other games, like especially in that Montreal series. It was just like they're waiting for something bad to happen. No, make something good happen. Uh, a lot of talk, obviously, about the Tampa Bay Lightning blue line. Victor Hedman banged up and playing brilliantly. Uh, Eric Cernak not in the lineup, probably won't be in the lineup moving forward. Uh, and yet that's kind of distracting from something that's happening similarly with the Maple Leafs. I mean, they don't have a banged up blue line per se, unless TJ Brody's performance has been impacted by injury. Um, But it feels like they're, you know, bending, but not breaking as well. Uh, Is there a reason to believe that, you know, with all this focus on the lightning defense core, that the blue line for the Maple Leafs is highly susceptible at the moment? Sure. I mean, I, I think Morgan Riley and Luke Shen have been the, the best pair offensively and defensively. And I, I don't think a lot of people would have predicted that, you know, they Jake McCabe and, and TJ Brody had a rough go in, in Tampa. And, and those are the two guys you would think would play the safest, smartest game. Uh, they've been overwhelmed and, and underwater at times. Mark Giordano, uh, it looks like all that ice time he got in the regular season is starting to catch up with them. There's been moments where he's, He's looked a, a step behind, and, and Justin Hall uh, ha, has made some bad plays as well. So, uh, you know, it, Toronto's blue line needs to be a lot better if they want to if they want to go deep. They're 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 getting by, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, credit to to who they're playing. Like Tampa's top nine has has some weapons. Nikita Kucherov, I, I love watching this guy play. He is dangerous. He makes it hard on them, but. I think Tampa has had like some really, really prolonged uh, offensive zone time, like some cycle shifts where they've even been able to, to make changes and get fresh guys on the ice. 
And I think they need to, Toronto, Toronto's defense needs to stuff out the cycle quicker, um, get breakouts quicker. Tampa's forecheck has been really established in this series. I think it's been better than Toronto's forecheck. So quicker, cleaner breakouts, you know, avoiding those long uh, shifts in your own zone that leave you tired and kind of sway momentum, that's going to be key. But uh, on the flip side, I think there is another level to get to. I don't think these guys have played their best hockey yet. I wonder a little bit, particularly with Brody, if, if there's some bumps and bruises that, you know, we don't know about that they're, they're kind of grinding through. The last couple of regular season games, Keith alluded to Giordano dealing with something undisclosed. I wonder if, if part of his uh, sluggishness is due to that. But I, I do also feel like there's another level they need to get to and that they can get to. I mean, they'll definitely need that if they want a lengthy playoff uh, after this game possibly tonight uh last one for you luke you ready for sweden i think that was we were pretty excited to hear the news maple leaf's gonna head down there uh or across the across there not down there um next year in november of this upcoming season i mean um i'm sure you'll be there you're starting to brush up on your swedish (laughs) Uh, i i am not sure i am crossing no way Well, well i sent a note to um uh, some of our bosses there Mm -hmm. saying like should should i start looking into flight to stockholm (laughs) And they said, well, let's see how much this Leafs Cup run costs us first. So. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully there's room in the budget. I've never, I've never been there. It's, be it's so been cool. on my bucket list. I think, I think it would be an amazing experience. And, you know, uh, Luke Shen was there with the Lightning, mm-hmm. uh, and he just raved about it. And uh, it, apparently the, the players had a heck of a time. He said that the joke was they just stayed on Easter time the whole time they were there and uh, had some good dinners. Victor Hedman introduced them to eating reindeer while they were over there. Wow. So I, I think, I think it, you know, November is probably the, the, the sleepiest month mm-hmm. uh, in, on the NHL schedule where Perfect. you're just, you, you know, desperate for storylines. So, you know, uh, a trip overseas, I think would just, be a real treat. Oh, that's a good sales pitch for the bosses that are listening. Let's get Luke to Sweden. Luke yeah. to Sweden. Hashtag it. Get it trending. You'll eat reindeer, too. You'll eat reindeer. There you go. There's that's your content play. I'll eat reindeer. You said it here live. We'll clip it, and we'll help with the uh, with getting you there, Luke. Uh, appreciate you coming on this morning. We'll see you later. I hope you get a different story to write after tonight's game. Okay, enjoy it. It should be a fun one. Thanks, Luke. Luke Fox, NHL reporter at Sportsnet. Get Luke to Sweden. Hashtag Luke to Sweden. <laughs> yeah, let's start the movement. <laughs> and if he needs assistance, Justin and Ailish to Sweden. We'll carry things for Luke. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll get to find a reindeer for him. Ooh. Speaking <laughs> of reindeer, here's time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Mmm. Reindeer hot dogs. Ah, God. We almost got through an hour. All right. So hot dogs. this one I, uh, I wanted to bring up across the airwaves. Former Boston Celtics head coach, who was rumored to be potentially in the running to be a current Toronto Maple Leaf, uh, Toronto Raptors head coach, Emo Udoka, was introduced as the Houston Rockets head coach on Wednesday, and he had his introductory press conference yesterday. And for this clip to become in the Toronto Raptors Twitter feed, you know that he might have said something that got people a little bit fired up. So he was asked about why he chose Houston over some other vacancies in the league, including Toronto, and this was his response. Obviously, Houston and Detroit were the two that opened up immediately and Toronto right after that. But, um, you know, they reached out and contacted uh, 
they had done some homework behind the scenes, like they mentioned. And uh, for me, you know, I, I got an up-close look. Uh, my first win with, with Boston was against Houston here, um, but it was a hard-fought game. Uh, if I remember, Jalen hit about eight threes on us for a guy in the scouting report that wasn't supposed to be able to shoot. And so um, I got an up-close look at them, watched them quite a bit this year. And then obviously when the process started, I dug into the film and, and really got to know the personnel much better. So as soon as the season ended, um, I was glad they reached out, a uh, young, talented team. And honestly, this is more attractive than a lot of the mid-level teams that kind of have that ceiling, that you know five-seed ceiling. Some teams that do reach out, I'd rather start with a young core group and try to build something great here. So there, at the very end, is the the quote related mm-hmm. to the Raptors more attractive than the mid level teams that have a ceiling? Maybe as like a fifth best team division? Yeah, it looks better or it looks worse rather on a on a tweet. It does look like it's like yeah, the See, Raptors. This is it. We play audio <laughs> to decipher tweets. The Raptors are a team that clearly has no direction and has no opportunity to get better. Is kind of what it looked like over Twitter. But this is another example, and there's uh, there's another example, a more recent example of how like. Professional sports is not the same as a regular job. And Giannis tried to, like, compare it to, and we'll get to that, I think, a little bit later. But Giannis is in the news because of that right now. Mm-hmm. But imagine, let's say you're interviewing for jobs and you get to interview with a f- four or five teams. And then when you're done interviewing, you go, you actually choose your next workplace. And then you get to go on public record and take shots <laughs> at the places that you did interview with and turn down. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is why things... And sports is different than normal life. And for a guy like Giannis to be like, and I guess we should bring it up quickly here. He was asked if it was a failure. The season was a failure. Yeah, well, I'll I'll just explain it quick. Just was asked if the season was a failure, and then he comes back and says, "Oh, did you get a promotion? Whatever." To this guy, and he's trying to be kind of like philosophical, and he's trying to be inspirational, I suppose. And he's saying that it's not a failure because you know you can't win every year in sports, Mm -hmm. but it's different. It is a failure if the number one seeded Milwaukee Bucks lose in the first round. Yeah. It's different. It's different than not getting a promotion at your mid-level job. Like, that's just the reality of it. So this is an example with Ime where it's, yeah, he gets to live a different life. He gets to turn down a team with a a hard ceiling, I guess, in his mind and to go with a younger group because maybe there's a little bit more job security or maybe it is that much more attractive. It is different. Adoka and Giannis both examples of that recently and hopefully we'll get a chance to play that Giannis clip because it's interesting it is very interesting the guy post loss has the spin that he does it's a bit like a positive spin about like how Michael Jordan played 15 years won six championships are you saying the other nine years were a failure it's like that's your perspective on it I bet Michael would chalk them up as failures well anyway Ime playing the Raptors next year will be fun can't wait for that. Just more fodder, more yes. more chips on the old shoulder. Maybe he's right, though. All right. We're going to take a break because we have Greg Wyshynski joining us, senior NHL writer at ESPN, an outside media perspective of the Maple Leafs going into tonight. Is this the night they do it? Are we rewriting a different story this time around? Are we coming on tomorrow morning with our hotline, our Friday feel-good hotline? Are we going to be hearing from our fans and our listeners at 7.30 tomorrow morning for good vibes or not? Let's see what Greg's pulse is, and then we'll do a whip around the NHL because no series in our side of the bracket has ended yet because the Florida Panthers last night pushed another game. You got the Avs up against the brink of elimination as well. There's a lot of things going on in the NHL that could really be different this time around. Let's see what Greg 
thinks about that on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Dalish. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big hour on deck on the Fan Morning Show. It's Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar this morning like it is every morning. Got Bruce Boudreaux on at 8 a.m. Woo! Bruce. But the hockey talk will be prefaced with Bruce, with our buddy, ESPN's Greg Wyshynski, who's on the line now. Good morning, Greg. (laughs) I see we're just going to increase the amount of uh, jovial wrestling fans on the show (laughs) from uh, from me to Bruce. I like the progression. Um, He's had a little bit more playoff success than I have. Mm. Uh, limited as it's, as it's been, but uh, it's good to join you. Yeah, maybe we can like desperation call Blake Murphy to help us in the uh, the gambling portion of the segment <laughs> at eight thirty. We can really, yeah, too. we got, we, we got wrestling fans on deck. We're ready to go. Uh, okay, so Leafs better be ready to go. Game five, they have a chance to win four in a row, which is crazy in a playoff series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, it is three one though, and the Leafs are on the brink, if you want to call it that. So I wonder when you look at the series, is it more about what the Leafs are doing or more about what the Lightning are not doing? So, I mean, the easy answer is a little bit of both, but I mean, on the, light, on the Lightning side, it's a bit more specific, which is that what they're not doing is getting vintage, classic playoff performances from Andre Vasilevsky. I mean, you know, it's become the story of the series, I think, that one of the NHL's great stoppers one of the NHL's great backbone guys when it comes to playoff runs in the last several years for the Lightning has not provided those performances against the Leafs so far. And, you know, again, we, these are the last two games have been extraordinarily close. I mean, one bounce games. Um, so it's not as if the Lightning have somehow fallen apart after what happened in game two. Um, but they're not getting those performances from arguably their most important guy. And that's kind of a, a shock. Um, from the Leafs' perspective, though, it's very much what they're doing. I mean, you know, I, I think that they've managed to find ways to win games, which is a very odd thing to say about the Leafs in the playoffs. But you can see the confidence growing. You can see the difference the Brian O'Reilly acquisition in particular has made. Um, and you, you got to give them credit. I mean, like, yeah, the story's not finished. The door's not slammed on the lightning at all, at all especially in a 3-1 series. Um, but you could... You know, I, I agree with everybody who's saying there's something different about this collection of Leafs than we've seen in the past. That's what we'd love to hear. <laughs> um, what do you think about the Cooper and Lalonde drama, the back to back and forth about those guys? Well, I mean, maybe it's not even drama, but just like the fact that one is maybe putting trade secrets out on national television here with us at Sportsnet, and then Cooper kind of saying, well, make sure you get your facts straight because maybe that's not the right information. Um, it's been playing out a little bit spicy on Twitter. I wonder which side of the uh, the fight, the wrestling match you're on. Well, Lalonde doesn't work for the for the Lightning anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, he's now a head coach on his own. He's he's left the nest. And and this idea that there's some sort of like hockey coach amuerta where you don't talk about another team after you leave that team is insane to me. Of course, he's going to give his takes on the place where he spent many many seasons. Of course, he's going to give his insight on the players on that team. And you know, I think I think the problem for John Cooper is that he's had to spend more time than maybe he's, if you look at a pie chart of all of the things that John Cooper has had to talk about in the last, in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, the biggest pie part of the, of the pie would probably be 
um, officiating. Mm-hmm. Then there's injuries. And then there's like a, a, another part of the pie that's Andre Vasilevsky. And I didn't think that he'd probably expect to have talked about Vasilevsky as much as he's had to. So if anything else, it's probably just frustration uh, that the, you know, all world goalie, the guy that we were saying was the best playoff performer between the pipes and Marty Bredor has been a topic of conversation because he's not been that good. Do you think Vasilevsky's showing a little bit of that frustration with his quick media appearance that doesn't happen ever where he said that he might need bleeping x-ray goggles to be able to see through the leaf screens? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've covered him for a few years now. I mean, his, his media appearances are, are sort of brief uh, and they and they are usually not all that remarkable. So that was kind of an interesting moment. Um, yeah, I'm sure he's frustrated too. I think mean, they're all frustrated. But again, like if you look inside the numbers, analytically, the, the Leafs offense really sputtered in the two games in Tampa. They got the matchups that they wanted. They played pretty well against them for the most part. Um, in, in, in when it comes to expected goals for in, in the games in Tampa, it's just that the puck went in, <laughs> you know? And so I think that's very much centered on the goaltender's performance when things are happening in front of them that are good. And yet they're losing these games. Um, it tells you that there's a bit of a, of a faulty gear in the machine. And, and that so far has been Vasilevsky. Yeah. The Vasilevsky dip decline, whatever you want to call it momentarily or, or not. Uh, it's, it's a different variable in this series. And it's one that Cooper has to navigate too, because I'm of the opinion, you give more for more to John Cooper to talk about. He can use it to his advantage. If Sheldon Keefe wants to talk about manipulation, you know, John Cooper's going to have a good comeback. You know, he's going to use it in some way to try and fire up his troops, get someone talking about something like he's a mastermind at that. But when it comes to Vasilevsky, like, He's kind of taken like a little shot at him, and Vasilevsky's taken a little shot at the defense, and maybe where the, those are where the meaningful cracks will form, at least for the Tampa Bay Lightning, or at least this market can hope for that. Uh, I wonder your take on Kyle Dubas and the uh, antics in the press box, if you want to call it that, the shouting match he had with fans, the TikToks, uh, him locking eyes with the camera and the camera panning away. Uh, it's a pretty hilarious clip, and it's an interesting look into... Real Kyle, I think, because we've been talking about corporate Kyle a lot and what Kyle Dubas might be if he goes to Pittsburgh and what he's what he really is like. And I think this might be the truest window into how much Kyle Dubas, A, cares and B, would act if like he wasn't a part of this juggernaut that is MLSE. Not to say he'd have shouting matches with fans at all times, but this is a guy who feels it, has the fire and has emotion. What did you think about that interaction? Yeah, but it's also a guy that has kind of that last day of school vibe too. You know, <laughs> I know he, I know he wants to stick around. I think he wants to stick around personally in Toronto. I think he wants to see this thing through, um, but he also doesn't know if it's going to happen or not. So there, there may be a little bit of a loosey goosey vibe uh, compared to other seasons, just because he's sort of like staring into the abyss right now uh, when it comes to his tenure in, in, with the with the Leafs. But I mean, he's always been a fiery guy. He's been a passionate guy, and I obviously have no issue with anybody in management having to go at it with the fans as long as it doesn't develop into something physical or something like that. So it's been fun. It's been fun to see, to see him on this ride. Big media day uh, for Michael Bunting and co yesterday, because the decision was made to not put him back in the lineup for game five. Um, I wonder if you think that that's the decision you would have made um, if you were Sheldon Keefe, the harder decision probably to not put one of your best players in the lineup, but with all things considered the way that the team had been going through wins in a row, the vibes high, maybe the right one. Yeah, it is totally the right one. I mean, you know, I, I think it's a, if it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it thing. And then if you need an infusion, if you need to kind of like change the conversation, after, uh, you know, maybe a game five loss, then all of a sudden Bunting's back. And, and now we've changed the, uh, 
the vibe a little bit. Like it's from a coaching perspective and from a tactical perspective, I think it makes the most sense. And plus, you know, also like, you know, let's, let's make, make sure this guy knows what happened was not cool. I mean, this is, this is a guy who I don't, you know, maybe doesn't realize the long strained history of important offensive players taking unfortunate suspensions <laughs> for the Leafs in the first round during playoff series. What, what he did could have short circuited all of this. Um, what he did probably also helped all of this in the sense that he took out one of lightning's best defensemen on, on an already thin group. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So I have no problem with what, what they're doing as far as his, his, uh, his status in the lineup. We're chatting with ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. Uh Greg, there was once a time where we had to like glamorize the Antoine Vermets of the world. Maybe Marion Gabrick had a had a huge impact, but it seemed like trade deadline acquisitions for a long portion of time didn't have that impact, or at least the desired impact on teams. And a lot of most of the time, and I mean, I know only one team wins, but more often than not, it was a mistake spending a lot in order to get a hired gun at the deadline. But it seems like this year, I mean, Matthias Ekholm, transformative effect on the Edmonton Oilers, at least it seems. And Ryan O'Reilly has been a godsend uh, here, it seems, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Are you a little surprised, given how Ryan O'Reilly's season was going, how big of an impact he's had on the Maple Leafs? Not at all. I mean, I, I, I figured part, part of the issue with anybody who left St. Louis was going to be just how bad the blues were and we saw it with Tarasenko going to the Rangers too like his his ears perked up and he started producing uh, at a higher level as well when he got there uh, so you know I think a lot of that malaise was just how how probably unhappy all these guys were playing for a, a St. Louis team that was sort of a disaster um, so and also like he knows his role he knows his mission his mission is to, to impart as much playoff wisdom as possible and, and make the little plays and do the things that this team needs needs to do to win. And, and maybe he didn't have in its lineup previously. Um, and it's been great to see there is another side of that coin, obviously, as far as like trade deadline acquisitions that haven't necessarily worked out. Uh, I've been covering the devil's Rangers series. Timo Meyer has yet to garner a point in that series. Mm. Timo Meyer was a third line forward in game four when the devils won. Uh, so there have been some acquisitions that have been transformative, uh, both on the ice and off the ice. And there have been some acquisitions that uh, strangely have not paid dividends yet in, uh, in, in series where uh, the offensive contribution of a Timo Meyer could make all the difference. Uh, instead of following you and Bruce with another wrestling guest, we are going to discuss something at 830 uh with regard to the Maple Leafs, which is who benefits the most from a single postseason victory? Because we know jobs of the line, reputations on the line, <laughs> and the like. When you think at when you look at it in at an individual level, who do you think, if the Leafs can win in five, win in six, win in seven, whatever, would stand to benefit the most from an individual standpoint? That's a great question. I mean, I, I think I think obviously uh, the first name that comes to mind is Austin Matthews in the sense of like you know finally he gets a chance to play in the second round. I think he's he's played a, a very good series so far, so that's hugely beneficial. You know, the easy answer would probably be Dubas, but but I, you know, I, I think the general consensus around the league is that these teams that have gone into the playoffs and, and not emerged in the first round have been pretty good teams, and that he's done all he can in some cases to try to build out these teams. And you know, the salary cap situation that the team faced was sort of unforeseen due to the pandemic, the flat cap. Like they did all this planning for certain increases to the cap, they didn't happen, and all of a sudden they had to make some really specious decisions. So I think he probably benefits too in a, in a major way, but I, I don't necessarily think that outside of Toronto that that he's been the kind of 
scapegoat that maybe he's been for some of the Toronto media. How about fans? How about media? Like, do people really outside of Toronto want the Maple Leafs to finally prosper? Like, the outside perspective, like, would that be really great for the league to see the Maple Leafs make it to the second round? Or would it be better for those that cover it that, oh, they have another crushing, crushing defeat? Well, no, because Boston, Toronto in the second round is a banger. There you like, go. If, if, if they both come through, that's an awesome series. Like, the idea of of the Bruins who, you know, have – not been themselves in a couple of these games against the Panthers going up against the Leafs team that has a, a class five hurricane amount of wind in their sails as they come out of the first round. Like that's exciting. That's a really fun series given their history. Um, so from that perspective, I, I, I don't think that, you know, the hockey world should be rooting against the Leafs in the first round. Now your question is very intriguing because I wrote a piece recently about the top 10 potential Stanley cup finals. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, the best one on the table is the Leafs going to break the drought against Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I've heard from a lot of friends in Canada uh, yelling at me (laughs) for, for, for trying to put the country through that kind of a, of of drama. uh, If that final was to happen, Uh, particularly my friends in Calgary, who I think would have a crisis of conscience about, do I root for the demise of the Leafs and keeping this drought going, or do I put my, or, or do I root for Connor McDavid, like mm-hmm. uh, and the Edmonton Oilers? I, I could feel the stress and strain already happening around the, the hockey world, insofar as if the Leafs do make it through all the way to potentially play for a cup, what do we really want? Because as much as we want the, the, the you know the, the Boston Red Sox or Chicago Cubs of hockey to break through and, and hoist the cup finally and end. Uh, the, the endless amount of planned parade jokes, there's always going to be a little bit part of the non-Leafs fan that likes this stuff <laughs> and mm. wants to continue and, and, and enjoys the schadenfreude and, and wallows in the misery like a, like a pig in mud. Like, there's a lot of that, too. And even me, someone who picked them to win this series in six, when the Lightning were, were, were you know, taking leads in some of these games... I definitely had that, that, that gene in me, that DNA kick in, and, and I was like, oh, it'd be kind of fun to see them blow it again. So there's always going to be a part of that, I think, too, and especially if they do advance and, and continue to advance. Well, the threat of that is important. It's intriguing. It's interesting, right? Like, that, that could keep you going. I mean, and if it is Edmonton-Toronto, something tells me media north of the border will be very, very... A cup in Canada just, very, like, needs to happen. Happy about that. Also, Bill Daly says a million times and keeps saying that if the Leafs go on a run, salary cap increases. So that's another thing to consider mm-hmm. with the Maple Leafs. Uh, Greg, I, I know you were writing a little bit about officiating um, this series and how possibly it's an issue or are we just being annoying? Like, it just seems like it's been a conversation, especially beginning the series. Maybe it's, it's quieted down a little bit here, but it's certainly been a point of emphasis throughout most of the series across the NHL this year. How do you grade the officiating to start round one here? Oh, it's like a C, it's like a C or C minus. I I have a column up on ESPN.com that you guys can read now Mm -hmm. about playoff officiating, about, about why it feels more terrible than it usually is. Um, and there's some real interesting factors that come into play psychologically. One of them is, um, although we don't have as many power plays this season as we did last season at this point, we have more power play goals because our power plays now click at a rate we haven't seen since the mid-1980s. So these blown calls that we see, these phantom penalties that we see, they, they hurt more <laughs> because they're, they, they have consequences because power plays are so good. That's one thing. The other thing I think is important is that 
you know, we've seen a lot of names that we are familiar with leave the officiating family. They all work for the league now or they're on TV, like my friend Dave Jackson. But we're dealing with a lot of turnover and we're dealing, I think, with a lot of guys that are still learning how to officiate in the playoffs. And when you have that, then you have hesitancy to make important calls. You have guys that don't want to make guesses in important spots. And that's been a factor. Now, I offer some solutions. And the one I'll I'll mention here is I'm not a fan of the Rod Brindamore let's review every minor penalty thing. I think that just makes the game longer at a time when everybody wants to make sports shorter. But I do love the idea of reviewing every penalty in overtime. Because if you're in overtime, time doesn't matter, right? Like, you're in for the long haul. You're strapped in. You can go and review anything you want in, in overtime. I think we'll be fine with it. We just want to get the calls right. And based on how they've used this reviewing uh, major penalties thing, I think they'll be more bold to make calls if they know they have a safety net of a review. So that's my big fix for playoff officiating. In overtime, give them a chance to review everything. I think we'll see more calls and we'll see better calls. Uh, we do a morning show, so staying up late to watch West Coast games is a bit of a bit of a issue for us. So what is the big story? What's the biggest thing happening in the West Coast series? Is it Edmonton overcoming more adversity against the LA Kings? Is it Colorado with basically a second line taken away from them with Nakushkin, Landeskog, uh, and Kadri gone, struggling in the way they are against the Seattle Kraken? It's definitely the Kraken Colorado series, but more to the point that we've all underestimated the Kraken's depth, I think. You know, the Grubauer part of it, was something that was unpredictable because they, their goaltending was trending in the wrong direction heading into the playoffs. I didn't think that it would be anywhere near as effective as it's been. Um, but, you know, we look at the crack and we think of, okay, they're a second-year team <clears throat> that's making the playoffs of time. But, I mean, like, Jaden Schwartz, Jordan Eberle, you know, they really got a lot of guys, Jamie Alexiak, they got a lot of guys in that roster that have been through it, that have been on long runs, that understand the, the nuances of, of the playoffs. And, and we're seeing it. Like, they're, they're playing really good hockey. They played their best offensive game of the series in Game 4. They, they did many of the same things in Game 5. And, yeah, there is definitely going to be stories written about what's happened to Colorado. The Linus Cog thing was unfortunate. The Nakushkin thing is weird. Um, and, and, they, and they also didn't uh, sufficiently replace the, the pieces they lost in the offseason. I mean, you can see the glaring hole in this lineup where Nazem Kadri used to be. Uh, and so... It's a really fascinating series, and, and it's certainly trending in the direction that we're going to see the Seattle Kraken in the second round. We are deep into the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, but we still don't have a single team to go through. Uh, Florida keeping that alive uh, for now with a win in Boston. Greg, uh, we look forward to this weekend. It's going to be fun with a lot of elimination games uh, on deck. Uh, we appreciate you coming on this morning, and hopefully we can chat again soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me. That's ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. A reminder... We want to know how you're doing your part to help, to assist a Maple Leafs victory. Is it a superstition? Is it a routine? Is it something you're avoiding? Let us know what you're doing to make sure that you don't switch up the vibe on the Toronto Maple Leafs after three consecutive victories against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We've been taking your texts in at 590-590. I'm going to read one or two before we take a break and talk to Bruce Boudreaux. I stopped watching halfway through the third at 4-1. Went for a shower, came out to a tie game. I'm going to watch from in the shower. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so time it up. When to leave, <laughs> when to shower, when to apply the shampoo. Everything's got to be exact. I'm going to flip between hockey and basketball. I did it last time they played, and the comeback started while watching basketball. And the basketball I was watching, the team came back while watching the Leafs. Last night I was watching the Heat, and they were losing. I flipped to hockey. I remembered. Then they came back to win. 
This guy's got like. Doesn't a, it feel like that sometimes? Like right? if you're if like you're you've gambling done, or you're you're interested in a certain thing, and every time you're watching, it's going negatively. You turn it off, and something good happens. You're like, I'm not watching anymore. Uh, one last one here. Getting every piece of Leaf gear I own, putting it on my couch, and sending my Leaf power through the TV. That's Kevin from Orangeville. Oh yeah. Just All make right. sure you did that last time. There you go. Five ninety five ninety. We'll get to those uh, in the last hour of the show. We're going to talk to Bruce Boudreaux on the other side of the, of the break. Former NHL head coach, of course, Jack Adams Award winner, and working with NHL Network as an analyst throughout the playoff series. Do the Leafs have what it takes to close out the series and uh, give us something Friday to really bring this city together around? See what Bruce thinks on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show.